6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 50 and 51. Later on, they put little codes above and below them to give you the, what they call the pointing, the, the sound. It's a language with only consonants. You and I have a tough time relating to that. But that turns out to be very effective and, and, and it works. But they, this was written vertically and backwards, according to the Talmud. And that's why they had a you know, the scholars couldn't figure out what this all meant. This is the writing in verse 25 that was written, many, many tekel, you far sin. Now, what you can't tell from the English translation is that Eupharsin is the plural of Perez. If you read the English here, it's confusing to you because here it says Eupharsin, and a little bit later he's going to translate the, that last word Perez. What you don't realize is that Eupharsin, because you have no way of realizing, is a, is a plural of Perez in the, in, the, in, the, in the language that's transliterated from. But he says, many, many tekel of Eupharsin. This is the interpretation. Many, God has numbered thy kingdom and finished it. The word many means numbered. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balance. The word means to weigh. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Right? You ever hear someone say your days are numbered? That cliche in our language comes from this chapter in Book of A. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Here is a pun. The word Perez means broken. See, numbered, weighed, and broken. That's what the word, that's the way we would say it. Numbered, your days are numbered. Weighed, you're weighed and found wanting. And broken, divisions. Except the word Perez, and it's, it's euphorcin in the plural. If you, pronounce, if you put P-E-R-E-S, the equivalent of that, that means broken. P-A-R-A-S is a pun for Persians. So there's a pun involved here. On the one hand, you're broken and divided. Verse 20, Perez, the kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. It's a prophecy. It's not. It's probably the most quickly fulfilled prophecy because it's happening that night. Okay, and I'll come back to that too. That's the reason I'm going through some of this. And of course, they uh, commanded Belshazzar to clothe Daniel with scarlet, but of course, he had no real use for that stuff because Darius the Mede, Darius the Mede, verse 31, took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. And it goes on. And by the way, now the Medes and the Persians take over Babylon, and they now become the next world empire, and Daniel survives that transition. He ends up being with, you know, a key ruler of the kingdom of the Persians. He founds a sect that um, keeps a secret, and that sect becomes, a, over many, many generations later, when certain signs that they were watching for happened, they traveled to Bethlehem. They're known as the Magi. And uh, that's a whole other thing. But uh, Daniel, interesting guy, fascinating book. I commend it to your reading. Now, we're going to come back to Cyrus and all that in a minute. But they have found, they believe, the room where all this happened. I want you to visualize that night. Belshazzar, arrogant, 
not sweating it, throwing a party instead of attending to his military defenses, didn't know that there was a guy by the name of Cyrus who was a Persian, even though Darius was under him as a Mede. There was part of the coalition. They were an allied group. Cyrus the Persian recognized, if, you, if we were going to draw, I don't use a view graph because it's too binding on the tapes, but you just have to use imagine. If I was going to draw the map of Babylon, it would be roughly a rectangle. And roughly down the, not quite the middle, a little to the left of the middle, there's a river going through it. If you take that rectangle and just bend it, just a little bit counterclockwise, you're close. Now, the river doesn't go quite north-south. It goes a little, starts a little west of north and exits a little east of south through the rectangle. And that rectangle is roughly 15 miles on a side. That's Babylon. When the river, just before it enters the city, it's diverted in part to make a moat around the city, and then there's a second wall around the city. So the city is double-walled with a moat between it, the moat being fed by the river. Cyrus was a pretty shrewd militarist. If you've studied the Romans, which came after the Greeks, which came after Cyrus, you realize that Rome, the entire Roman Empire, was built essentially on army engineering. Those guys were knew how to do it. Cyrus began that sort of, well, I'm not sure he was the first to do it, but he certainly was skilled at what you might call military engineering. He had three divisions. He sent uh, one of them, I think one of them or two of them, anyway, sent some of his forces upriver out of sight, build a dam. And he had it timed so that when they stopped the river and the river dried up, his other divisions entered the city on dry land where there was a river. And that's how they took Babylon. Okay? They were, uh, uh, so that's how Cyrus conquered Babylon. When they did, now you realize, of course, Daniel was at the court of Babylon. Daniel's concern and passion was for Judah, who were slaves, almost 70 years. That's what, in Daniel chapter 9, gives rise to his prayer and the Daniel 70 prophecy. He knew that they were only supposed to be there 70 years, 67 or something had gone by. Now the Persians take over. You know what Daniel does? He's got access to the throne. According to Josephus, plus just the logic of it, Daniel goes to see Cyrus. Cyrus doesn't come in the city that night because it's actually conquered by Darius, who's the local commander. His 16 days later is when Cyrus shows up formally. Daniel greets him and greets him with a dusty old scroll, a document that was written 150 years earlier. And that document was the scroll of Isaiah, the same book that we found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. No, I mean, not the same copy, but I mean, the same book of the Bible. Now, if you turn with me to Isaiah, Isaiah mentions Cyrus several times, but the one that we're interested in starts near the end of chapter 44. I want you to imagine yourself as a, a king. You've risen through your a career, and you are now in charge of the most powerful army in the world, and you have just taken over the ruling city-state, namely Babylon. Your team has gone in there according to plan. They've taken over. You're arriving formally. And this character, this aged scholarly prophet of the Hebrews, some slaves that you inherit with this deal, comes to you and shows you this scroll 
And we'll pick it up about verse 28, uh, chapter 44 of Isaiah, verse 28. But here's what is read to Cyrus. Well, let's say verse 24 and give you the flavor of this thing. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, who hath formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord, who maketh all things, who stretcheth forth the heavens alone, who spreadeth abroad the earth by myself, who frustrateth the tokens of the liars, and maketh diviners mad, who turneth wise men backward, and make their knowledge foolish, who confirm the world of his servant, and perform the counsel of his messengers, who saith to Jerusalem, thou shalt be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah ye shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof. Now bear in mind, when Cyrus is reading it, they're in decay. Not when this was written. Okay, interesting. First he said, Who saith to thee to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers. Oh, really? That's gotta strike Cyrus's kind of an interesting coincidence. He just conquered the world by drying up a river. He thought he did it. Verse 28. Who saith of Cyrus? He must have thought, gee, that's interesting. My name's here, you know. <laughs> Who saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. That's interesting. You got Cyrus's attention by now, right? Thus saith the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him. I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. Eight gates in the city of Babylon opened up by his spies. The Lord goes on, verse 2, chapter 45, I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze. I will cut in sunder the bars of iron. I will give thee the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, who call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by name. I have surnamed thee, even though thou hast not known me. Cyrus was impressed. <laughs> he initiated a pro-Israel policy at this point that leads, sets the stage, first of all, for them to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, and later a successor of his, because of that policy, under Nehemiah's urging, gives them the subsequent authority to build the wall, and that fulfills, that triggers the beginning of Daniel's 70-week prophecy. Very important set of history here. Cyrus. Letter of Isaiah presented to Cyrus by Daniel upon his entrance to Babylon uh, after having conquered it and uh, changing the course of history, albeit with a little help. Getting back to just a perspective of Babylon at the time that we're going to be looking at, uh, in Babylon there was the, um, the sanctuary of Marduk, their main idol. They had many idols, but that was the main one. The house there was called Esagila, which means the house whose head is raised up. And it's not clear whether that's just the king's pride or if there's something else. The tower that becomes the main thing is Et Temenen Anki, which means the house of the foundation of heaven and earth. Pretty, pretty rambunctious titles, but you can hear the echo of those titles, uh, they echo Genesis 10, if you will, even then, even at even the 6th sixth, the sixth century before Christ. So that's a little perspective of Babylon. 
It's interesting because it's, first of all, the primary city in the history of man. It's going to be interesting for some other reasons I'll come to. Historically, it's significant because of this captivity of Judah that is a milestone repeatedly mentioned in Matthew 1 in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It's a milestone in God's plan. Now we're going to come to two chapters in Jeremiah that are going to be rather provocative if you've been paying attention. Jeremiah, for 49 chapters and for 40 years of his ministry, has been hammering away to Judah that the Babylonians are God's servants raised to power to punish Judah for their idolatry. Jeremiah weeping, caring passionately uh, for his people, but burdened with the office of having to preside over the death of their nation, telling them in advance and being abused because of it that not to resist the Babylonians, that God has raised up the Babylonians to be his instrument to punish Judah. We've heard that now for 49 chapters. I want you to recognize the strangeness that while he was preaching that, he also wrote this. They're not in sequence. Two chapters here that we're going to see later, were delivered to Babylon. There's uh, one of his, uh, his scribes there, his nephew, I forgot, brother, I forgot, no. The, well, anyway, he takes him, he's going to take it to uh, Zedekiah. He's going to have it delivered to Babylon during uh, uh, when, he went, when Zedekiah went there as a matter of matters of court. So this is a strange, strange passage, because the same Jeremiah that foresaw predicted through the Holy Spirit that the Babylonians were going to conquer Judah, also knew that Babylon is coming down, going to be destroyed. Strange, strange perception for Jeremiah to have. And chapters 50 and 51 deal with this. The same man that prophesied the ascendancy of Babylon is here laying out in detail the fact that ultimately Babylon is coming down and Judah will return. Now, one of the things before we jump into this I want you to be alert to, so I don't catch you later, is um, Babylon shows up in the book of Revelation. And many scholars, they're, they're, they're divided. Some scholars believe that the Babylon Revelation will be literally Babylon rebuilt. There are some good scholars that believe that. Other scholars, and I side with them, don't believe that. They believe that Babylon in Revelation is mystical, symbolic, allegorical. It's literal, but it ain't this Babylon. It's They're using the name Babylon to be descriptive of something else. I lean that way. I'm, I'm not that, that doesn't make it right, but at least you'll know where my prejudices are coming, and you'll see why I have them before I finish the next two chapters. So let's move on. Chapter 50, verse 1, the word that the Lord spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. That introduces that's the title. That's the title page. That's what we got going here. Declare among the nations, and publish and set up a standard, publish and conceal not, and say, Babylon is taken, Baal is confounded, Merodach is broken in pieces, her idols are confounded, her images are broken in pieces. That's heavy stuff. The uh, ancient uh, kingdoms, the kings, um, you know, their successor failure was the successor failure of their idols. So. Uh, disparaging not just Babylon, but Bel and Merodach are their the key idols, and, and they're losing. This is, and Jeremiah continues, verse 3, For out of the north there come up a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate, and none shall dwell in it, and they shall remove themselves, and shall depart, both man and beast, predicting the ultimate conquest by the Medo-Persian Empire, which is to the north. 
In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping, and they shall go and seek the Lord their God, and they shall ask the way to Zion with their faces toward it, saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. Here's again Jeremiah making reference to the perpetual or everlasting covenant, a phrase that occurs some uh, several times, at least four times in the book of Jeremiah. My people have been lost sheep. My shepherds have caused them to go astray, and they have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill, and they have forgotten their resting place. All that found them have devoured them. And their adversaries said, We offend not because they have, have sinned against the Lord, the habitation of justice, even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Flee out of the midst of Babylon, and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans, and be as the he-goats before the flocks. For lo, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations, namely the Medes, the Persians, and the Elamites, assembly of great nations from the north country, and they shall set themselves in array against her, and from there she shall be taken, their arrow shall be of a mighty expert man, none shall return in vain. The Chaldean, Chaldea shall be a prey, all that spoil her shall be satisfied, saith the Lord. Jeremiah here predicting that this enemy that God has used to take Judah into punishment is going to get hers, and Judah will return to Zion. That's the gist of this. It's a word of surprise to a reader of Jeremiah in that day, because he spent uh, 40 years saying the opposite. That is saying that, I mean, not saying the opposite, but saying that, the, you know, Babylon is invincible, so to speak. But he's speaking in that, in, in that time, and he's pointing out here, it's later it's going to reverse. It's also a message of hope to Judah, because they know they're, it's, it, that they're coming back. Verse 11, Because ye were glad, because ye rejoiced, O ye destroyers of mine heritage, because ye are grown fat like the heifer in the at grass, and bellow like bulls, your mother shall be completely confounded, and she that bore you shall be ashamed. Behold, the hindermost of the nations shall be a wilderness, a dry land, and a desert. And here we get to verse 13, which you might want to mark. Because of the wrath of the Lord, it shall not be inhabited, but it shall be wholly desolate. Every one that goeth by Babylon shall be appalled and hiss at all her plagues. Now Jeremiah here is in you know through the Holy indicting Babylon, pointing out they're not only going to come down, they're going to come down permanently. They're going to get destroyed. We're going to find several passages that I'll mark them as we go that indicate that now they're coming down. But they're not going to rise up. It says, it shall not be inhabited. The, this emphasis by Jeremiah is one of the re I think it's important when we get to Revelation to recognize that Revelation is not talking about literal Babylon. I believe the Scripture teaches, especially in the chapters we're going to look here and also Isaiah 13, which we'll take a look at shortly, uh, that Babylon will not be, re not be inhabited. And the way you test that theory is to say, how many Babylonians do you know? It ain't around. The Iraqi government several times has tried to spend money and make it a tourist attraction, and somehow it never gets anywhere. Kind of interesting. Hey, I'm read Jeremiah. Moving on. Verse 14, Put yourselves in array against Babylon round about, all ye that bend the bow and shoot at her and spare no arrows, for she hath sinned against the Lord. Shout against her round about, she hath given her hand. Her foundations are fallen, her walls are thrown down, for it is the vengeance of God. Take vengeance upon her as she hath done do unto her. That leads to a whole other study that I won't take the time of tonight. 
but you can do a study of vengeance. Who's who gets who takes care of vengeance, gang? Yes, in chapter fifty-one, verse fifty-six, we're going to see that to speak, he's the Lord God of recompenses. We're going to come across that phrase. I'll give you a handful of Bible verses that you can you can follow that up there. Something, another concept that comes up later, but I find myself interested to do it right now. When we get to 33 and 40 in this chapter and so forth, we're going to come across this idea. Something you and I probably don't realize. Uh, First of all, we've had a little bit of talk about what a kinsman redeemer is. We talk about the book of Ruth. We know what a goel is, kinsman redeemer. The concept of a kinsman redeemer includes more than just redeeming the land. That's what we usually emphasize, Ruth chapter 4 and all of that. A kinsman redeemer in Israel... It was responsible for the protection of the relative's person and property. He also took the responsibility for avenging the murder of a relative. He was responsible for purchasing alienated property, and that's what we usually talk about in Ruth 4 and such. And he also had responsibility to marry his relative's widow or provide for her, whatever. Those are all ideas in Leviticus 25, Numbers 35, and Ruth 4. What you and I fail to grasp often as we study the Scripture is God is the kinsman-redeemer of Israel. God is the kinsman-redeemer of Israel. That puts upon him the biblical injunction of protecting his relative's person and property, avenging the murder of his relatives, and purchasing any alienated property, and marrying the widow. And we're going to find Lamentations opens up with Israel being described as a widow. We're going to find strange, well, we'll find Mystery Babylon Revelation, boasting that I am no widow. I'm neither divorced or I have a widow, or I am a widow. Two strange phrases that are used of Israel. Babylon, Mystery Babylon Revelation contrasts herself with Israel in a very strange, provocative way. So one of the things when we visit Israel, we're visiting a piece of real estate that has a very different relationship with the creator of the universe than simply that it's his, in, his, in his creation. It's part of his redemption, which is a whole different thing. Interesting thing. So here we have the enemies of Judah. Indeed, God raised them up to punish Judah, but not with immunity. God is going to punish Babylon for her idolatry and for her ungodliness. And as we read about Babylon... You can, from time to time, take some thought about the future and the destiny of this country as we increasingly, more militantly, manifest our ungodliness, not only in terms of our spiritual condition of the population, but by our administrative policies which are anti-God, that are pro-secular humanism. There is, a, there is an enforced religion in the United States called secular humanism. It has a manifesto. And it is contrary to the Bible. And the more you see the Supreme Court decisions, the more you see the general tenor of our media, our administrators, our legislatures. Don't be surprised as we increasingly move into an ungodly or anti-godly posture. It's tragic, especially when you realize that God will not sit back and leave it that way. He's going to do something. And what worries me is that he may do the same thing with us that he did with Judah, that is to use their enemies, as his mechanism for judgment. But moving on. Verse 16, cut off the sower from Babylon 
and him that handleth the sickle in the time of harvest. For fear of the oppressing sword shall they turn every one to his people, and they shall flee every one to his own land. Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First the king of Assyria hath devoured him, and last this Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, hath broken his bones. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land, and I have punished as I have punished the king of Assyria. And I will bring Israel again into his habitation, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied with Mount Ephraim and Gilead. In those days and at that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none, and the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. Ooh, isn't that neat? Go up against the land of Marathim, and even against it, and against the inhabitants of Pecot. Waste and utterly destroy after them, saith the Lord, and do according to all that I have commanded. These are basically suburbs of, of Babylon. Sound, the sound, a sound of battle is in the land, and of great destruction. How is the hammer of the whole earth cut asunder and broken? How is Babylon become a desolation among the nations? I have laid a snare for thee, and thou art also taken, O Babylon, and thou art, as thou wast not aware, thou art found and also caught, because thou hast striven against the Lord. The Lord hath opened his armory and hath brought forth the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Come against her from the utmost border, open her storehouses, cast her up as heaps, and destroy her utterly. Let nothing of her be left. Slay all her bullocks, let them go down to the slaughter, woe unto them, for the day has come, the time of their judgment. And the voice of them that flee, and escape out of the land of Babylon, to declare, Babylon, uh, declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God, and the vengeance of his temple. Call together the archers against Babylon. All ye that bend the bow, camp against it round about, let none escape. You've been listening to 6640 the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.